Anyway, it's good to be with you tonight. I know that there's many places you could be on Christmas Eve, and we're so thankful that you chose to come here. Uh, the subject I've been given is a gift from God, the gift of children. And uh, children are a blessing to all of us in many ways, and hopefully at one time we were all children somewhere along the way. And so uh, we'd like to look at a few scriptures tonight that would uh, lead us in that direction. And first, if you will, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and the uh, thought takes us, oh, maybe up to chapter 4 somewhat. But as you peruse that, you can see that uh, in the writing there that in the beginning, one of the things God created was man and woman. And we're created created in God's image. And uh, man and woman were the ones that caused sin and pain to come into the world. And, of course, they were expelled from the garden and given punishments for that. And uh, after God meted out the punishment, then uh, we see that <clears throat> man began to have children. And uh, man was given a gift, and the gift was a child. First child was Cain, and when he was born, Adam was able to say, I have gotten a man from the Lord, so he realized he'd gotten a gift. And can you imagine the feelings of being the first family with the first child? And so this is a several firsts going on here. And uh, the sad part of it is we know the rest of the story if we've read those scriptures. We know what happens to Cain later in life and to his brother Abel, and we can see on down the that, of course, uh, Adam and Eve had other children and can realize some of the things that happened. But when a child is born, there's great joy. And as, as Cain began to grow and then Abel, uh, you can imagine the mother and father saying, don't do this or that, you know, and uh, trying to correct them along the way and maybe laughing at the funny things they did when they tried to learn to walk. Who knows what? But there's joy when we have children. There's joy at the birth of children and as they grow, and you follow the story of Adam and Eve, and you can read on down through and see the, uh, in chapter 5, you can see that the lineage of, of Adam, of who begat who at what age and how long they lived and who they begat and so forth. Uh, you can get kind of tangled up in the begats there, but uh, uh, you know that Adam was around for a while and saw his children and many grandchildren, perhaps great-grandchildren, and you can imagine the influence, the good, the bad, and the ugly that he may or may not have had on those who came after him. And uh, I know this time of year, for many of you, uh, you see on TV, the uh, usually in black and white, I don't even know if they got it in covered the color, uh, the uh, movie It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. And you remember uh, they try to show him in that story what would happen if he was taken out of the world and he had never been. So imagine, if you will, as you are in this life and your children are in this life or your others around you, that uh, your family, imagine not being in this life and what kind of a vacuum you would leave if you were not here. So we are here and our children are here, for some of us, grandchildren, and maybe a few for great-grandchildren. And we do have... Uh, have an effect and we leave an impression and that impression may be a good one or a bad one and it will have an effect on those that uh, we talk to we see we reach out to and whatever so 
Uh, it is important that as we get gifts from God that we use the gift in a proper way. And that's what children are all about. It's an opportunity for us to make a difference. Uh, let's turn over to Genesis 11. Uh, another story about children. We see that uh, a young man by the name of Abram and his wife Sarai, who at the tender age of uh, Abraham being uh, 100 and his wife Sarah being 90, they have their first child to that union. And uh, they're no less joyous than someone of 18 or whatever age having a child. No doubt they're tickled to have the child. Of course, uh, Sarah, if you read the story, said, who, me at age 90 have a kid? Are you crazy? And so uh, they were told to name the child Isaac, meaning laughter. And I'm sure there was a lot of laughter brought into their lives by Isaac, by this child. And as they, as they live their life with this child, they make an impression on him. And Isaac grows and comes to manhood. And you can read in the scriptures about Abraham's concern for this, for this son of his. And as every father and mother, you want your children to grow up and you want them to have the things you couldn't have and be able to prepare for them the things that would uh, create a buffer between them and the hard things of life. And we can understand that Abraham, uh, as he sends off his servant to find a wife for his son, he wants the proper wife that would have the proper... Uh, effect on his son's life and knowing what the promises of God were that were told to him he wants to see those carried out in a good way so we understand that Abraham's trying to be a good parent he's trying to use the gifts he has to raise the gift he was given to be a gift to others in whatever generation would come after them uh, and we do want the best for our kids whatever generation uh, we or our parents or grandparents have been in. You can look in your own family history and, uh, and see the ones that came before you and how they struggled and tried and wanted to do everything right. And uh, another example we can look at is in Judges chapter 11. You know, uh, sometimes uh, we get a little impetuous when we try to do things. And a case in point is uh, Jephthah, one of the judges of Israel. And verse 1 of chapter 11 says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So here's a guy that's called a man of valor, but he's not in very good standing in the family because of who his mother was. And yet, uh, he's the judge of Israel. And you read further through that chapter and beyond, and, and you can see uh, how Jephthah leads God's armies to victory. And he's beset with uh, difficulties in this task. And so he makes a vow to God. And if you look in uh, verse 29, beginning there, he tells, he promises God in that story uh, that he would give God the first thing that comes out of his house if God will give him victory over these people, the Ammonites. So all goes well because, you know, you just have to wonder, just what on earth did, did this man think was going to come out of his house? 
evidently he thought it was going to be something of maybe some value, but not the value to him that it turned out to be because the first thing that came out of his, out of his house when he arrived home was his daughter. And imagine promising God that if he will give you something, a victory, a success, or whatever it is, and you say, okay, Lord, if you'll do this for me, I'll give you my child. And it wasn't only that he was going to give his child to God, but if you look in chapter 11 of Judges, in verse 30 and 31, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. No way did he think his daughter was going to come out of that house. Can you imagine the pain in his heart as he walks home and the first thing that meets him is his daughter running out of his house? Sometimes, you know, in our lives we make rash promises and statements and, you know, hopefully nothing ever gets that dire or that crazy as, as it was with him. But I think this is a warning from God's word to us that there are nightmares out there waiting to happen, but let's don't make it come from us. Let's do our best to make proper and good judgments. And if we draw closer to God and put his will and his word in our hearts, then out of that will come the goodness that God wants us to have. Another, another child that uh, I think we should look at is in the book of uh, 1 Samuel. And if you look in the book of 1 Samuel, of course, the person we want to look at is Samuel. <laughs> and the first chapter, we see that uh, Samuel's uh, mother is one of two wives. And it begins there, it says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tho- uh, Tohu, I was going to be tofu there for a minute. Son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives, the name of one is Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And he goes on to say that there was a little bit of strife between the wives because, of course, one had children, the other couldn't have any, and uh, she wanted children. She wanted sons for her husband, as the other woman had. So in her despair and her grief, she... If you'll read in eight, verse 8 following, it, it, she goes uh, up and prays before God in the tabernacle and, and uh, tells him that, Lord, if you will give me a son, I will give him to you. I will dedicate him all the days of his life to you. And she does. And as you read through the books of Samuel, you'll see how that came true and how Samuel dedicated his life to God and what a difference his life made to the people of Israel because of his mother's love and dedication. One last one I would like to look at, and that's going to be in Matthew chapter 1. You're getting close. It's getting close to Christmas, isn't it? Uh, In Matthew 1, we see that there is a child to be born, and that child is Jesus. Jesus is to be born to a carpenter, and this carpenter is promised to marry a young maiden by the name of Mary. Angel of the Lord comes to Mary and 
tells her that she has been chosen to receive a gift. And that gift is to be the Son of God. So Joseph and Mary are the parents of this son, Jesus. And as Jesus grows, we see later in his life, at age 12, what were you doing at age 12? (laughs) We see Jesus arguing with the scholars and talking, not arguing, but telling them how how the uh, law should read and so forth. And his parents are looking for them. Imagine as Jesus is born and as, his, as he grows, the possibilities of the feelings of his parents. Here you are, you have the Son of God in your house. You're raising the Son of God. And it's a child of God. And we often wonder about the glory of that and the many things that they saw in their lives changed by that fact. Now let's turn the page a little bit for ourselves and realize that as we've looked at these examples, there's a lot of other examples we could look at in the Bible of parenting and children and how they treated their parents, how their parents treated them. But uh, parenting is not always easy, but we're given a gift from God and that gift belongs to God. Our lives are a gift from God and they belong to God. And what we do with those will determine not only the outcome after our life for us, but for many around us, for ourselves, for maybe our husbands or wives, for our children, for our parents if they're still alive, what changes we can make in their lives, our neighbors down the street, everyone around us. It's a great responsibility, and young parents, when they... receive that first child, it can almost be overwhelming. But you know, many parents are first-timers later in life. (laughs) And just because you have one doesn't make you an expert. The only time you're an expert is when you're a grandparent and you have grandchildren because grandparents know everything, right? At least that's what we tell our grandkids. But it's an experience. We're overwhelmed sometimes when we receive this gift. What are we going to do with this, you know? How do you change that diaper anyway? And uh, these guys don't know what diapers are. They, it's pampers now or something like that. But uh, it, is, it is a joy. It's a responsibility. Life is a responsibility. God expects something from us for the life that he's given us. And Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up a child in, in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And that's more than a saying, and for this to be true, it takes a lifetime of work, it takes dedication and prayer, and it takes godly parents for this to be true. It takes willingness on the part of the child to be disciplined. It takes a trust in God by all parties. And as we walk our daily walk in today's society, remember, life is a gift. It's to us and our children as well. And let's all of us, whether we have children or not, determine to protect the gifts God's given us. And as they grow, we need to do our part to ourselves, to our children, and to our God. Thank you. It's good to see you all here tonight. I am going to speak just for a few moments of the gift of church family. And it's, it's good to have family here together tonight. You know, Christianity has often been called from time to time a one another religion. You hear that oftentimes in the New Testament. Uh, Love one another, help one another, pray for one another. Uh, We're we're taught how to to treat 
fellow Christians throughout the New Testament. And it's noteworthy to consider the fact that God never intended us to be alone in this world. Even in the beginning, as David mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 18, uh, God had created man, and it was very good. But God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So from that time, God created the family. Now, he created the church family, too, our spiritual family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us gathered tonight. Now, this may sound a little bit strange to you, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are blood relatives and we are adopted children. We are both. And what I mean by that is we share the blood of Jesus Christ. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we share the blood of Jesus Christ. As we've entered the waters of baptism, that blood cleanses us of our sin. So, in a sense, we're blood relatives, but we're also adopted children. We weren't born into God's family. God made the church for all men, but he adopted us through that sacrifice of his son. And let me explain. The apostle Paul uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Did you hear that? We are adopted by God. And he also said that he predestined us to be adopted children. Before the beginning of time, God had in his mind that I am going to adopt those children, those wayward, sinful children, that's you and me, back into his family. And I'm so thankful for that gift. Therefore, as... As God's family, we are our brothers and sisters. Now, remarkably, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is also our brother. He calls us his brethren. This is remarkable. In, Mark, in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus was resurrected, he met Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And he said to them, as they approached, he said, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Go and tell my brethren, Jesus Christ, our elder brother, our Savior, our God, our brother, where we are family. When you consider that, it's no surprise whatsoever that we read the word brethren so many times, dozens of times in the New Testament writings. Early Christians gladly addressed each other as brother and sister. They took this to heart. They understood what that meant. They used the term brother and sister so much in the first century that when the persecutions of the Roman government began, one of the false accusations leveled against these brothers and sisters in Christ was a crime of incest. As bizarre as that sounds, but they used the term brother and sister so much, and they meant it from the heart, that these non-believers would look at them and say, well, they're just practicing incest. They, They missed it completely. They didn't understand the family. They don't understand. There are probably people in your mind that you can think of tonight that are your brothers and sisters in Christ that are closer and dearer to you than your own kin. 
I know I can think of some. And while the world will look at that and say, that is strange. Not, you know, nothing is uh, closer than blood. Well, the blood of Christ is closer than any other blood. And the Apostle Paul tells us that this is okay, this is right, this is good, because he says to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We should prefer one another. We love one another. We have a common brother in Jesus Christ, preeminent above all. It's truly a blessing to be part of God's family. It means so much. I'll close with this quote from the Apostle John. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, John says, And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Let's love one another. Are you excited? Are you anxious for tomorrow? I love the fall. I love it from the beginning of the, when the leaves fall from the trees to the November when Thanksgiving comes and you have a big, huge feast. Your table's full of food and around your table are family and friends, maybe folks you haven't seen all year long. And then comes December and you get a chance to buy gifts, exchange gifts. Man, it's, it's exciting, isn't it? And it's followed up by, by New Year's Day. And again, a great big feast. We stuff ourselves and make our way to the TV room and watch our football game. And somebody says, anybody want more pie? It's just a great time. What more could you ask? As you're going through the holiday season, if you would, look around and notice the people around you. You might find some people who were not invited to this feast, who were not invited to partake of this festival that we're going through in this holiday season. You might find people who are in the grocery store who are looking and saying, can I, can I afford to buy this meager meal for my family or do I need to pay the, the rent bill so my uh, family can have a place to stay? As much as the Lord has blessed us and our family, please be mindful of those who are poor around us. I know you're a very generous people. I've seen your generosity. I know you'll do that. As wonderful as this season is, in the blink of an eye, It'll be January 2nd. This holiday season would have passed. A new year would have begun. The Lord is willing. I want to take a few minutes tonight to remind you that as Christians, we are waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior. We're waiting to receive a free gift that's been promised to us. It's free because Jesus Christ paid the price for us. He was equal to God, and yet he lowered himself to a man. He was without sin. He took all of our sins and he nailed those sins to the cross as he sacrificed himself upon that cross. Is this free gift that's offered to us all? It's not restricted only to those who are wealthy, but it's offered to everyone, even the poor. Tonight we'll look at a few scriptures that will tell us about this gift that's been promised to us. There's not much that's written about this gift. I think it's because there's not enough words in this language we can understand, where we can actually understand what this gift is really all about. 
If you would turn with me to Revelations 21, verses 1 and 2. says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. We will have a new environment, a new heaven, a new earth to live in. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, Christ tells his disciples that his father has a house with many, and there are many dwelling places He's going to prepare a place for us. In Matthew 13, verse 46, Christ tells us that this place, it's like a merchant who finds a, a pearl of great value and goes and sells all that he has, and he buys it. In addition to having a new dwelling place, a new heaven, a new earth, we'll have a new body. We see in John, 1 John 3 and 2 that we'll have a new body that's like Jesus, like his body, because we'll see him as he is. If you would, hold your finger at that Revelation 21 and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 55. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet well, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on the immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? We will have a new body. It'll be like Christ. Right above those scriptures, it, it kind of describes that body. It says, we who are perishable will have bodies that are imperishable. We who are sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. We who are sown in weakness will be sown in power. We that are natural will become spiritual. And we that are from dust will be from heaven. We will have a new heaven, a new earth, and a new body in this place. That's being prepared, for, being prepared for us. Please turn back to Revelation 21. In addition to this new heaven and new earth and new body that we will have, we will also dwell with God. Look at verse 3 in chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among men, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. I hope in the next few days to come, in the next few weeks, as you enter your quiet time and you're reading your Bible, you'll think about that scripture. Think about the awesomeness of being able to live with God in heaven. What a wonderful gift that is. This isn't the first time we've had this gift. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, you'll see... Adam and Eve, they've committed their sin, and they're hiding from God. And they hear God. They hear him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's not an unfamiliar sound to them. That's a familiar sound to them. They had God with them in the Garden of Eden. But that sin separated us from God. 
I'm thankful for Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself for us. That we can have this gift promised to us. Where we can have a home in heaven with him. What an awesome gift that is. Moses desired to see the face of God. But God told him, if you see my face, you will surely die. And his persistence, God put him in the cleft of the rock and put his hand over his face and allowed him to see him as he passed by. Recall what he looked like afterwards? The countenance of Moses was white. How awesome that will be when we can live in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth, with our new spiritual bodies and live with God and see him as he is. Finally, let's look at the last few verses I want to read tonight. Uh, verses 4 through 7. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, I will give to the one who thirsts in the spring of the water, the life without cost. He overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. We can see only dimly the promises that are made to us, but we can be assured that the promise is faithful and true. This is the gift that is worth all that we have. This is the gift that we are anxiously awaiting for. In Acts Chapter 1, verse 11, we see the apostles looking up into the sky as they watch Jesus ascend to the heavens on a cloud. There are two men in white standing nearby, and they tell them, what are you looking at? Don't you know the same Jesus who ascended into heaven will once again come again this day? When you start your morning, Do you offer a prayer to God giving thanks for this great gift that's been promised to us? When you look into the sky, do you say, Lord, is this the day you will return? Do you say, come quickly, Lord? Or are you caught up in the cares of this world and you've lost sight of Jesus? You're no longer waiting for his return. I can't think of a better time than Tonight, to put that right. To begin waiting on the Lord for his return and living your life for Christ. You know, I've said tonight that this gift is offered to all, and it is offered to all. But it is not yours. Not yours until you accept it. The scriptures tell us that there's only one way to accept this gift. You must hear the good news that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. You must believe this is truth. You must repent of your sins. You must confess his name before men. You must be baptized into Christ. When you've done this, this gift is yours. This promise is yours to keep. I can't think of a better way to start your life afresh if you have not obeyed the gospel. And tonight, if we can help you in any way, please come forward as we sing the song.